not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. Hey, First Church, hope you guys are doing all right, whether you're here on site or online. I just heard that we've got Bobby from Arlington who's worshiping with us, and we also have Mike from here in Owasso worshiping with us, and as well as a ton of other people. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family that are joining us here today? And if you're online, you can clap for our family here in person as well. They can't hear you, but you can go and do it if you want to. And we know that you're doing it for us from wherever you are right now. But I am excited to be in week three of our series, Uncharted, Uncharted Territory. But before we dive into the message today, I have something I want to announce. You guys know last Sunday was our Super Bowl Baby Bottle Drive Sunday. And so you guys brought in baby bottles for the Pregnancy Resource Center, full of money. You guys made donations as well. And we had a competition as you turned in your bottles or turned in your donations of which team you could vote for to win the Super Bowl between, of course, Cincinnati or Los Angeles. And some of you guys have asked, who won? Well, I'm here to let you know that the team that won only won by $52. I mean, it was close, just like the Super Bowl game itself. It was close, and the Rams won. So L.A. pulled out the win barely here at First Church, and they pulled out the win barely Sunday night in the Super Bowl as well. But whether you're excited or not about that, this is what I'm most excited about. Last week total, we brought in 12 thousand dollars for the pregnancy resource center over twelve thousand dollars how cool is that and that's why i love our church because we're not a church that just says that we love jesus and love like jesus we really do it we want to unleash a revolution of god's love on the 918 and beyond and this is just one of the many ways that we're doing just that so thank you for continuing to invest in our mission that god has given us here at first church in loving like his son well like i said last sunday was the super bowl most people know that and my family got to watch it at our house and we were for cincinnati i talked about that last sunday as well but my son, Alex, who is a sports fanatic, I mean, he is just sports crazy. He's like, Daddy, I want to stay up for the whole game. And I'm like, okay, that's fine with me, but I know him. I mean, he goes to bed like at 8 o'clock or sooner. I mean, when he gets dark outside, he starts slowing down. And so I knew it would be rough for him to make it through the entire game. He just doesn't make it through late games. And so I said, buddy, if you're going to stay up for the whole Super Bowl, you're going to have to, like, take a nap in the middle of the afternoon and all this other stuff. He's like, okay, Daddy, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so the game came around, and he did pretty well until the fourth quarter. And this is a picture of him in the fourth quarter. He's out. And so that's a pillow on my lap. He's laying on his Kentucky pillow, but he's wearing his Cincinnati jersey, and he is out. Now, here's the thing. If you watch the game, you know 
it was an exciting game. Like it went down to the very end and we had people at our house and kids at our house and we were screaming and hollering and there were kids that were making noise and playing with toys and all sorts of stuff. I mean, there was a lot of commotion in my house that night and yet Alex, he slipped right through it. And we didn't try to keep it down or anything, you know, he just slipped right through it. And it reminded me of something, how kids have the ability to sleep anywhere at any time. Have you noticed this? A few years ago, I was watching March Badness, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament, and I was watching VCU take on St. Mary's, and this clip was shown. It's of a dad holding his daughter, and look, his daughter, she is out. She's sleeping the entire time. And as you pay attention, what you can tell is, I mean, the band is playing in the background, you've got people cheering, the dad is cheering himself, and yet his daughter is sleeping right away. Don't you wish you could sleep like that sometimes? How about this kid right here? He went shopping with his mom and apparently just had enough, so he fell asleep in the shopping cart, and then the mom puts all the groceries around him. That worked, you know? How about this little girl right here? She was cleaning her room, and I guess she just decided to give up, you know? She took a nap right there on the shelf. And I love this kid as well. I mean, if I slept like that, I would need to see a chiropractor. You know what I'm talking about? She's out cold. And here's the thing. Kids can sleep anytime, anywhere. But we adults, not so much. We can't always sleep anytime we want, anywhere. In fact, sometimes we struggle with sleep. I read a study just the other day from Consumer, uh, from Consumer Reports and it says this, 68% of Americans struggle with sleep at least one night a week. Two-thirds of our population struggle to sleep at least one night a week. And so let me ask you the question, what keeps you up at night? If there is something that keeps you up at night, what is it? I asked that question to some of my friends this week, and I got various answers. I asked one person, what keeps you up at night? And they responded with this, concern that my kids will make the right decisions. Some of you guys can relate to that. You know what that feels like. I asked somebody else, and they responded, if I will be able to retire one day. And a lot of us, we worry about our financial future. Does that keep you up at night? I asked one of our staff members here at First Church, what keeps you up at night? And he responded, my wife's snoring. So at least he was honest, right? I see some people elbowing one another. All right. At least he was honest. But you know, there are a lot of things that can rob us of sleep. But I think one thing that robs us of sleep as much as anything else, if not more, is fear of the unknown. Because we as people, we don't like the unknown. We don't like uncertainty. In fact, a lot of times we try to avoid it at all costs. We fear the unknown. And I've been in ministry long enough to have experiences where I've been able to sit with families in doctor's offices or hospital waiting rooms when the family is waiting to receive news. And, and the news that they're going to receive, they're pretty sure it's going to be bad news. And yet when they get that news, as bad as it is, there's almost this sense of relief because at least they know something. It may not be the news they wanted to hear. It may not be good news at all, but it's better than the unknown. Nothing is scarier than the unknown at times. And yet, life is full of uncertainty. 
We know this. Life is full of uncertainty. And the Bible doesn't hide this truth. In fact, in the book of James, it says, the reality is you have no idea where your life will take you tomorrow. You are like a mist that appears one moment and then vanishes another. The Bible lets us know. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You have no idea what your future holds. We are finite beings, and we can't see the future. But the Bible lets us know that we have two choices. We can either let fear of the unknown consume us and drive our lives and keep us from really living, or we can trust our unknown future to our known God. And that's why Jesus says, don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Jesus says, don't get worked up about what's out of your control. Don't get worked up about what's going to happen tomorrow. No, you just trust in God. You walk through the doors that he opens for you. You listen to him and you obey him. You trust God's plan for your life. And he'll take care of you. Because you see, what we worry about, well, that reveals where we're putting our trust. And if you're trusting way too much in yourself or in other people or in society or things that this world offers, you're going to worry a whole lot. But when your trust is in the God who holds the cosmos in his hands, he promises to take care of you. That's why I love what Psalm 121 says. It says, the one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. You know what that passage is saying? God never sleeps, so I can. God never sleeps, so you can. It's just like my son or my daughter, when they fall asleep at odd times in weird places, they're able to fall asleep in total peace because they know that mommy or daddy will eventually get them to their bed so they can fall asleep with a crowd of people all around them watching the Super Bowl. And they know daddy's going to make sure or mommy's going to make sure that they're okay and they'll wake up the next morning in their bed, have no idea how they got there and don't care. They just know mommy or daddy got them there. And that's the way our God works. God never sleeps so we can so that we can have that peace, so we can have that comfort, so that we can know, even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, he holds tomorrow in his hands. And when you know that, when you have that confidence, uncharted territory doesn't look so scary. See, we chose this theme, uncharted territory, because we're living in a season that has more uncertainty than I think normal. I mean, life is full of uncertainty, but it seems like we're living in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty. We are dealing with things that we thought a few years ago we'd never have to deal with, and we're seeing things that we never thought we would see. And in the midst of all this uncertainty, it's easy to let that consume us to the point that it keeps us from living. But here's the thing, no matter what we face, no matter what we deal with, God is still God. He is still in control. He still has a plan for our lives. His mission has not changed, and He is with us. So we trust our today, and we trust our tomorrow to Him. And as you get to know Him, and as you understand how much He loves you, 
Well, what you, figured out, what you figure out is that the unknown isn't so scary when your God is on the throne. When you know your God reigns, when you know your God is on the throne, the unknown isn't that scary at all. Because our earthly fears assume their proper size in the presence of Almighty God. And that's why we're looking at the life and the ministry of Joshua in this series. Because there are many examples in Scripture of God leading His people through uncharted territory and doing incredible things during uncertain times. And one of those examples comes during the life and ministry of Joshua. Because Joshua is called by God to lead the Israelite people into the land of Canaan, the promised land. We've already talked about in this series how God wanted Moses' generation, the generation before Joshua, to enter the promised land but they didn't have the faith to do it they didn't trust God like they needed to and so God said okay if you guys don't want to enter the land of Canaan the promised land I'll wait for your kids to grow up I'll wait for this whole generation to die off and for your kids to become adults and see if they will claim the promises that I have for them and so what happened was for 40 years Moses' generation, they wandered in the wilderness. They walked around in circles and did funerals. They just waited for that entire generation to die off, doing the same thing over and over again, walking in circles and doing funerals. It's kind of like the movie Groundhog Day. You guys seen that movie, you know? Just the same thing over and over and over again. And when I looked for this picture from Groundhog Day, I actually found a meme that I liked better than this one. If you go into the next one, it says, they should announce a sequel to the movie Groundhog Day, then just re-release the same movie. And that would fit, right? That would work. And that's how the Israelites lived for 40 years, wandering around in circles, doing the same thing over and over again. But... Now Moses and his generation have died off. Joshua becomes the new leader of God's people. And Joshua's generation, they're tired of walking in circles. They're tired of the same old, same old. They know God has created them for something more. God has created them for a better life. And so they're ready in faith to move forward where God wants them to go. And that's why when Joshua goes to the different tribes of Israel and he announces what God wants them to do to move into the promised land, they respond like this. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. They've seen their fathers and their grandfathers waste their lives in the wilderness. And they don't want to waste time anymore. They're ready to receive what God wants to give them. But even though they are ready to move, doesn't mean that what they're going to be facing doesn't still keep them up at night. Doesn't mean they're not a little nervous. Because remember, the land of Canaan, this land that God has promised them, is occupied by other people groups. And there are these city-states, fortified city-states all throughout the land of Canaan that are very strong and powerful And they've got big armies and they've got big fighting men. The Bible describes them as giants. The land of Canaan is still occupied. And so even though they know God's going to give it to them, they know it still may not be easy. And I'm sure that kept some of them up at night. And that's why God says to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And what Joshua and the Israelites will find out is that it's not just that God is with them wherever they go, but when they get to the promised land, 
God's already beat them there. He's been there all along. That's where we pick up in Joshua chapter 2. And so in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua is getting ready for the people to move. But before he does, this is what happens. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Yeah, that's how you say that. I'll just pause right there for a second so everybody can giggle. Okay, yeah, that's how you say that. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So it's been 40 years since any Israelite has been in the promised land. And so Joshua sends out a couple spies, two spies, to go and check out the land. And the first place that they're to go to is this fortified city-state called Jericho because it was one of the key cities there in the land of Canaan. Now, here's the thing. A lot has changed in 40 years. And so Joshua sends these spies out to check out the land, and he does so not not for them to come back and bring a report and say, yeah, we can do this or no, we can't do this. They already know God's going to give them the land. He sends these spies in to see if God is already opening up opportunities for them to move, to look for these open doors that God is giving them. And it's interesting to me that Joshua only sends in two spies. Because remember when Moses sent in spies 40 years ago, he sent in 12 and 10 of them came back and didn't want to do it and they wanted to turn back and go to the desert. And two of them saw the promised land through God's eyes and were willing to move. It's like Joshua doesn't waste time with the whole group of people. He sends in his two best guys. You know, He sends in the two guys that he knows are going to be faithful, that are going to see this mission through God's eyes and are going to follow God's will. He picked two men who were going to choose faithfulness over self-preservation. Because here's the thing, this is a risky mission. When they go into this foreign land, there are going to be times that their their lives may be in jeopardy. They could get killed if they're caught as spies. Not only that, they could be tortured to get information out of them, which could reveal some of their strategy. They could betray their own people. They could betray God's plan. And they could accept bribes if they weren't men of integrity. And then they could come back to the Israelites and give them a false report, sell them some fake news so that the Israelites go in and make some mistakes or maybe turn back again. Joshua had to pick men who were going to be faithful and they were going to choose faithfulness over self-preservation. And here's the thing, those are the type of people that God still uses today. People who put God's plan first over themselves. People who put God's mission first above their own wants and desires. People who choose faithfulness over self-preservation. That's why Jesus says, to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Did you catch that? Seek God's kingdom first. Do what God wants you to do first. Put his plan, put his mission first. And if you do, that he will provide for you. He will give you everything you need. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say God will give you everything you want. He doesn't say that. But he says God will give you everything you need. In other words, he will do what's best for you. He will take care of you. And so, which describes you? Are you somebody who's known for being faithful? 
or somebody who's all about yourself? Are you someone who could be described as choosing faithfulness over self-preservation? Are you somebody who's always seeking God's kingdom first? Because this was an essential character trait for these two spies. One, because of the land that they were entering in and the job that they had to do. But also, this was an important character trait because of the first place that they stopped. Let's read on. It says, so they went, so they're entering now into the city of Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, now what you need to know is that Jericho was a city that was surrounded by two large, massive walls. One wall was about six feet wide. The other wall was 12 feet wide. I mean, you could ride a chariot around the top of these walls. And they would also build homes and different structures inside of the walls as well. And it was typical that when you came to the entrance of the city at the city gate, there would typically be an inn there, and inns in this day and age doubled as houses of prostitution. Well, apparently, the first place that these, spies, that these spies come, and they don't just come there, they stay there, is one of these inns that doubles as a house of prostitution, a brothel, owned by a woman named Rahab, who's a prostitute herself. Do you see why it's important to pick faithful men? Because these men had to be men of integrity. These men had to be men of character, Because it's one thing to be focused on God when you're with your Israelite brothers and sisters on the other side of the Jordan. It's another thing to be focused on God when you're surrounded by temptation in the midst of a house of prostitution, staying the night there. I mean, they went there for good reasons. You may be wondering, why would they go there? Well, I think they went there for good reasons. It was a place where they could hide out. I mean, think about it. You can stay anonymous at a house of prostitution. Nobody's doing a background check when you walk in the door, okay? Men went there, and they didn't want their names to be known. So they could go there, and they could hide out, and no one would ask any questions. No one would want to know their background. No one would want to know their names. They could just go there. So it was a great place to hide out and remain anonymous, but they had to be men of integrity. They had to be men of character. And let me ask you, does the private you match the public you? Because it's one thing to be praising Jesus when you meet together with the church. It's another thing to still be praising him and be focused on him when you're alone at home or when you're traveling on the road or when you're at the office or when you're at school or when you're with your buddies or when you're On a ball field, I struggle with that one. (laughs) Does the private you match the public you? Are you the same person no matter where you are? Because here's the thing, who you are when no one else is watching, well, that reveals your true character. And these men, apparently they were men of strong, strong character. So we see that Jericho is on high alert as these spies come in because what we find out as we read on is that they've been watching the Israelites and they've heard about what God has done through the Israelites in their history. The people of Jericho, they've heard how God helped the Israelites defeat the Egyptians and they heard about the Red Sea and they've heard about how God has provided for his people 
in the desert and how they've had other military victories. The people of Jericho are very aware of all that God has done. And so they're on high alert because these Israelites, they've been camping on the outside of Canaan for 40 years now, but now they're starting to move. Now they're getting closer to the border. And so the, the people of Jericho are watching and they're nervous. And so all of a sudden word gets out that these two men have shown up who are not from Jericho and they're staying in the house of the prostitute Rahab. And so the king gets word and they pretty much assume they're from the camp of Israel. And so the king gets together his SWAT team basically and they descend on the house of Rahab in order to arrest these spies from Israel. And when they get there, you know what happens? Rahab the prostitute. Rahab hides these two spies says she puts them up on the roof probably on the top of the wall so they were out of sight and then when the king and his SWAT team show up they say where are these men Rahab covers for them and sends the king and his men on a wild goose chase now Rahab at this point she's not an Israelite so why does she do this because here's the thing lying to the king in this day and age was an act of treason If she was caught lying, she, her entire family, all of her friends, all of her associates, all would have been killed. It was an act of treason. So why was Rahab willing to risk her own life and the lives of all of her friends and family in order to protect these two men that she had never met before? Well, she tells us why as we read on. In verse 8 it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof where she had hid them, remember, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Did you catch what Rahab acknowledged here? Look at what she acknowledged. She says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. That's been a theme so far throughout this series. Remember, God told Moses, I'm going to give the land to you. But Moses' generation struggled to accept that. God told Joshua, I'm going to give the land to you. And even though they were ready to move forward, they're still nervous. But Rahab... She gets, she understands what many of the Israelites struggled to understand. That God, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, was with the Israelites and on their side. And so you know what Rahab does? Rahab says, I think I want to switch teams. See, Rahab, she's she's examined all the evidence. And in this day and age, what they believed was every god 
had its own domain because they believed in many gods. Not the Israelites, but all these other nations. They believed in many different gods. And so every nation had its own god or multiple gods. And every god had its own domain that it was over. And so you might be able to lose to another nation on their turf because on their turf, their God was boss, or you might lose to another nation on neutral territory because that territory wasn't really claimed by a God. But when somebody else came to your territory, your God was boss. Your God had domain. And what Rahab is basically acknowledging here is the God of Israel, well, he whipped the Egyptians in Egypt. He whipped the Amorites on their turf. This God doesn't have a domain. This God has dominion. This God is over all. He's over the entire earth, all of creation. And not only that, he's moving and working within his people now. That's why Rahab says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. He's reigning over all and he is with his people right now. And so Rahab has heard about these outrageous things that this God of Israel has done. And she says, my gods can't do that. You see, the gods that our culture chases after never deliver on their promises. The gods that our culture chases after, they never deliver on their promises. And I know that we don't worship, you know, little statues like Rahab did in her day. But we still worship a lot of false gods today. Because you can turn anything into a god, a lower G god. I mean, anything that you pursue over God is your God. What you find your identity in, what you find your strength in, what you find your security in, that's your God. What you pursue the most, what you think about the most, that is your God. And we can worship a lot of things in our culture today as gods. We can worship money. We can worship stuff. We can worship medicine health, science, we can worship politics, political parties, political agendas, we can worship people and status and jobs and careers, we can worship sex and pleasure, you name it, the list goes on and on. We can turn anything into a God. But all of these gods will eventually fail us. All of these gods won't last. All of these gods, they won't deliver on their promises. And here's the thing, you will lose confidence in life when your God keeps losing battles. And that's where Rahab is right now. Rahab is examining the evidence and she sees what Israel God can do, can do and she's never seen her gods do anything like that. And she says, I want to be on God's team. Now I want you to notice what she doesn't say. She doesn't say, God, I want you to join my team. As if, God, I want you to come into my life that I've already set up and established and you just bless it. That's not what she says. It's not, God, I want you to join Team Rahab. She says, I want to be on God's side. I want to be on God's team. And guys, there's a big difference there. Because I've talked to a lot of well-meaning people who are struggling with life and the more I talk to them, the more that I realize one reason why they're struggling is because they're asking God to join their team. 
They're not fully committed to his team. What they want is for God to come over to their side and bless the life that they want, the life that they've already established for themselves. They want God to join their team rather than they join God's team. Rahab is ready to switch jerseys, and the reason why she is ready to be on God's side is because she is looking at everything that this God has done, and if everything, if God has done everything that she's heard that he's done, where there's no room for neutrality, because this God has done some outrageous, incredible stuff, and her gods don't even compare. Guys, I want to let you know the reason why we do what we do here at First Church. The reason why I do what I do, the reason why I live the life I live every single day is because I believe in a God who has done some outrageous, incredible things throughout history. And by looking at what God has done in the past, it gives me courage to face an unknown future. Because let me tell you about my God. My Savior, he was born of a virgin. My God, my Savior, he lived a sinless life. Even though he was tempted in every way just like we are, he never sinned. I believe that he did miracles, that he walked on water and that he calmed storms and that he fed 5,000 on one occasion and 4,000 on another occasion. I believe that he healed people like lepers and the lame, those who were blind and deaf and mute. He healed diseases and different sicknesses. My Savior, I believe that he was falsely accused, but he gave up his own life because he knew God's plan. I believe that he was beaten and he was bruised and he was mocked and he was ridiculed and he was spit upon and he was placed on a cross to die. I believe he was put in a tomb, but three days later he busted out of that tomb and he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now he is reigning over all. Hey, you can clap for that, yeah. And he's coming back for his church. And in the meantime, he's entrusted his church with the mission of telling everybody about his outrageous good news. And guys, if all that is true that I just said, and I believe it is with all of my heart, or I wouldn't be up here, there's no room for neutrality. There's no room for fence riding. There's no time to waste playing with the other team. Either God is God or he's not. And we get to choose what team we want to be on. Randy Harris has taught for years at Abilene Christian University in Texas. And he tells the story that as he would teach the book of Revelation over the years, students would come in with all these questions and whatever else. And they would want to have all their questions answered. And before they would even get started, Randy would say, okay, let me just summarize what the book of Revelation is all about in a nutshell. Here it is. Are you ready? Here's a summary of Revelation. God's team wins. You get to pick a team. Don't be stupid. He said that's what the book of Revelation is all about. And guys, that's the gospel. God's team wins. Jesus is victorious, and we get to pick a team. Don't be stupid. And that's where Rahab is. 
Rahab has examined all the evidence. And she says, I want to be on God's team. I don't want to be on Team Jericho anymore. And so what she does is she tells the spies, I'm going to help you guys escape. But when you come back with your army to take over the city, would you spare me and my family? Because we want to be on your side. And so Rahab helps the spies escape by lowering a, a scarlet rope And the spies say, when we come back to take the city, if that rope is hanging outside your window, then we will know you've had time to think about it and you still want to be on God's side. And we'll come to your house and we will rescue you and your family and your friends. And that's exactly what happens. Rahab is rescued. But here's the thing. Even though she's rescued, she still has to live in Jericho a little while longer. But she's not on Team Jericho anymore. She has to live in Jericho, though now she's wearing God's jersey. And doesn't that describe our lives? I mean, guys, we live in this world right now that's been corrupted by sin, but we're on God's team, and that's tough at times. But we allow for the fact that we're on God's team, that truth to drive us and motivate us every single day. I showed you a picture of my son Alex just a second ago, and he was wearing his Cincinnati jersey. And you couldn't tell in that picture, but the jersey that he's wearing is actually an A.J. Green jersey who doesn't play for Cincinnati anymore. This year, he played for the Arizona Cardinals, signed an $8 million contract to go play with them. And so Alex wore this jersey even though A.J. Green wasn't on the team anymore. We bought the jersey like a year or so ago back when we were in Kentucky, not knowing what was going to happen. And so when the Super Bowl came around, Alex wanted to wear his Cincinnati jersey and I was like buddy are you okay with wearing it even though AJ Green doesn't play for Cincinnati anymore and I guess he's been listening to me or other coaches that he has because I love his response he said daddy it's not the name on the back of the jersey that counts it's the name on the front of the jersey and I love that Because I've told him that. He said other coaches that have told him that. You've probably had coaches tell you that. You don't play for the name on the back of the jersey. You play for the name that's on the front of the jersey. And here's the thing. Because we are allowed to be on God's team, we get to put on his jersey. And our name gets to go on the back. And that's awesome that we get to have a place on God's team. But we don't play for the name on the back. We play for the name on the front. Because team God wins. And when we keep that in front of us, the unknown doesn't look so scary anymore. See, Rahab joins God's team, and here's the thing. She becomes an Israelite herself, and she's mentioned over and over again throughout Scripture as an example of faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith hall of fame, I mean, guys like, you know, Moses and Abraham and David are mentioned in the faith hall of fame. And look at what it says. Look who else is mentioned. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. Rahab is mentioned as an example A faith. And it's not just that she's mentioned as an example of faith. God also uses her. Because in Matthew chapter 1, she's listed at the genealogy of Jesus. You know what that means? See, Rahab married an Israelite man and God gave her a brand new life and she had kids and those kids had kids and those kids had kids and eventually Rahab becomes the great, great ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. You know what that teaches us? Failure doesn't disqualify us from a life of faith. God not only wants to rescue us, 
He wants to use us to live by faith, to do incredible things. And here's the thing. I think it's interesting to me that as Rahab is mentioned throughout the New Testament, she's still called Rahab the prostitute. Did you catch that? I mean... As I read that in the New Testament, sometimes I think, man, Rahab can't catch a break, you know? She left her life of prostitution, yet as she's mentioned, it's like, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute. You know, it's kind of sad in a sense. Why is that? Because she didn't remain a prostitute after this. I think it's a reminder to us that it's never too late for any of us. I think it's a reminder to us that God knows no undesirables. It doesn't matter what label the world places on you. It doesn't matter what reputation you've had in the past. It doesn't matter what's been done to you or what you've done. God knows no undesirables. He desires you. And he wants to be your God. He doesn't want you to know him from a distance on the other side of the Jordan River. He wants to be your God as well. And so the question is, what team are you going to be on? Team Jericho or God's team? And if we're being honest, there may be some of us listening to this message today that have been on Team Jericho for way too long, or maybe we've been flirting with Team Jericho for way too long. And in the words of my, that professor that I mentioned a second ago, you know who wins. Make the right decision. See, the unknown isn't so scary when you know your God is on the throne, when you know your God reigns, when you know your God is in control, when you know your God is victorious, the unknown, it just isn't so scary anymore. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to listen to you speak through your word. And I pray, Father, that we would take what we've heard today And allow for it to challenge and encourage our lives, knowing that we don't have to fear the unknown when we know you. Father, I pray if there's anybody who's listening to this message who has spent way too long on Team Jericho, that they they will join your team, the victorious team, because we know you win. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.